Evening. Um, anyone here for the first time tonight? Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Always great to have, uh, have some visitors. Um, jumping into the middle of a series. Apologies for what you've missed. Um, oh, gosh. So there's a, there's a really... Um, it's a really strange thing about preaching about sin. Um, and the, we, we, might, we might be a little scared about this, the subject. Um, we, might, we might quite often feel a kind of reaction um, inside of us when we, when we get to some of the things that I have to talk about. Um, and, I, and, and bear that in mind, you know, if, if you know that one week we are, we are going to be speaking on something that you struggle with, you can expect yourself to not to want to be here. Um, sometimes we long for freedom and we run into it. Sometimes we get scared of it and we run away from it. It's part of our human nature. Um, but one thing that really surprises me, and, and I, in every church that I know of that has taken sin seriously, has taken repentance seriously, is that you might expect them to be kind of slightly scary or serious places, but actually what you find is the reverse, and they are the happiest churches that I've ever been in. And the more that we confront things that are wrong in our lives, and the more we realize that Jesus still loves us and actually always has loved us and always will love us, and the more that we repent, the more of him we get, the more joy we will find. Um, so don't be surprised as we go through some heavy things that worship actually gets more fun. Okay, and then the Holy Spirit starts to move more and Jesus starts to move more on the basis of what we're willing to give him and give up for him. Um, so, yeah, so today we're going to talk about the flesh. Um, and I'm going to try to do this in one week. I thought I might need two, I might need five, but I think I'm going to try and do it in one. You know? um, the scripture is so rich. Gosh, you could spend a couple of days in Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, you know, and, and on and on. But there's just a few things I really believe the Lord wants, wants to say to us tonight um, through his word. So uh, let's see what he has for us. Um, just by the by, because I know uh, students, at least Taylor students, are aware of spring break next week. Some of you may or may not be back next, next the Sunday after that. Um, next week, um, so basically what we're doing tonight is the flesh. Next week we're doing the world, and the week after that we're doing the devil. Okay? Um, so it, the world, you, you know, students, if you're away, you, you, you'll be able to listen to that online. Um, that's going to be a fun one. Um, <laughs> and, but then after that, we can talk about the devil, okay? Um, and really what we're going to be focusing on there is, is strongholds, okay? And the way that we, the way that we can give the enemy a, a stronghold in our lives, okay, through sin. Um, and this is, really, this is really important if you struggle with a sin that you, that you really battled to stop. Uh, and you just don't know why. And you've done everything you can think of but you just struggle, okay? And often that can be because the enemy actually has a legal right, and you've got to take care of that legal right, okay? So we'll, we'll be talking about that in two weeks. So if you can be back for that, please do. Um, and then after that, we're going to start going after some specific things, like religious pride and lust and anger. Okay, what fun! Hey, yes! So be excited. Um, <laughs> so... Um, I think, you know, as we talk about the flesh, 
Um, we've all, we've all in our walk with God, I'm sure, we've, we've had times where we've been doing really well and we've had times when we've been doing badly and we've had the, you know, the ups and downs in between. Um, and if you like me, that's a, it's a really painful way to live. And it doesn't seem to reflect the way that God wants us to live. It doesn't seem to reflect the life that Jesus promises. Okay, a life of flourishing. A life of abundance. It seems to represent something that's short of the gospel. And where I'm going to get to tonight, you won't be surprised, is my favorite word, surrender. We keep getting that word, guys, I'm sorry. It's like, there's just no way around it in the gospel. And I just, I just such a strong sense that um, ultimately the antidote to the flesh is knowing Jesus. Okay, I know that's like, you know, Bible study answer to everything. But it truly is about not just knowing him, okay, but actually knowing him. Knowing him. Having intimate relationship with him. And if we think of surrender as a way to get there, okay, the surrender is the thing that actually gets us into intimacy with Jesus. It's, it's, it's the thing we have to do. We have to lay down our lives. Okay, and if there's one thing that guards that road of surrender that we walk along, okay, it's a beast called flesh. It's like a guard dog. It's trying to stop us get, getting to surrender. And the more that I looked at this, the more I prepared for tonight, the more serious I felt this. So I'm going to read some scripture. We're going to read a fair bit of scripture, and then I'm just going to—I'll speak from it. Um, and then at the end, we're going to have an informal communion again. I'll bless the elements, and then during our final worship, we'll have a chance just to come up and take communion and be reminded of what Jesus did for us, and we'll have a chance just to surrender to Him. Okay. So we'll start with Romans six. I'm going to read a little bit of Romans six and a little bit of Romans seven. Actually, quite a lot. Okay, and then some Galatians. Romans six. Reading from verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Amen. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. 
Man, this is such awesome news, isn't it? Um, such powerful scripture. We are set free from sin. We are set free from the grip of sin. We are buried. We are raised with Christ. We are raised with his righteousness. This is so awesome. Um, and this, I'm sure, is something that we have all encountered to some degree or other. And it's something we, we all often encounter when we are first saved. And we encounter the Holy Spirit for the first time. We encounter Jesus. Um, and it could be massive. It could be something small. Um, this is one of the smallest examples I can think of. But you know, my best friend growing up was a guy called Charles. His dad served in the cathedral. He went to church every Sunday, maybe twice a week. Um, he was one of the most intelligent men I knew. read his Bible a lot. And he used to swear really badly. Especially when I beat him at tennis. Which I, which I did regularly. And um, it was amazing how um, when he was about 15, he, he met the Holy Spirit. And I still beat him at tennis. The Holy Spirit didn't help his tennis. But, um, <laughs> but he stopped swearing. And I was like, Charles, like, what happened? Like, what's, and he says, I, I don't know. Those words, just, they're not in me anymore. Not in the, and it, it was such a small thing. But you know, we hear of people who give up um, alcoholism or people who, you know, anger just dissipates from their lives because they, they experience Jesus' as peace. And these things which he just brings into our lives, the fruit of his spirit in us. And they're amazing. And it would be awesome if we all lived in these first 12 verses of Romans 6. But we don't. Because then we get to Romans 7. Okay? <laughs> and, and Paul points out that there's still a tension in us. So I'm just going to read from verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Read those words again. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. This is Paul, the great apostle. That evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. So I'm not going to read the next verse, okay? Because we have to sit there on that moment for a little while. We too easily go to the next one. And we don't dwell in these words that Paul writes. This is Paul, who is wrestling with the flesh. Who sees in his flesh no good thing. That it wars against the will of God. And I think, you know, I'll be surprised and I, you know, if any of us had not felt the draw of the flesh. I don't think any of us are perfect in this room just yet. Um, that we've, we've felt that before, haven't we? Like there's something that draws us. And it could be something like food, it could be something like lust, it could, it could be a, a lie, 
about ourselves that we just struggle to fight against. The flesh wars with us. Our mind wars with us. And Scripture is... When you, read, when you read Romans 6, it seems so apparent that, 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 the, that the flesh has died, that sin has died, and then in 7, it seems to still have some life to it. And the image, the image I, I, that, I, that I really like, this really helps me with this, is that as we, as we think of our flesh being nailed to the cross, that is Jesus who is nailing our flesh to the cross. That is he who holds our flesh against the cross. But too often, it's us that might go and start giving that flesh a little bit of life support. We might start taking it down from the cross. We might work against Jesus. We might work against His Spirit in us. Let's read Galatians 5, just to press this a little harder. And we read from verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a condition, okay? <laughs> walk by the Spirit. If you don't want to satisfy the desires of the flesh, walk by the Spirit. For the desires of the, spirit are, sorry, of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know how you guys respond when you, when you read that scripture. Do you kind of do a checklist in your heads? No orgies, no drunkenness, those are okay. No sorcery. Um, remember that um, Saul was told that rebellion is like witchcraft? So I'm not sure about the sorcery one. Impure. So, you know... Sometimes I, I might read over this list and say, I'm okay, you know, those are, this, these are the real sinners, you know, who do these things. But then you start reading it more closely and you realize, gosh, dang it, I, I might, um, that was my American. Um, I, <laughs> these, these are closer to home than we'd like to think. But I really want us to, I wanted to emphasize, we'll come to some of those in, in the series, but you know, it's not like live in the spirit and tolerate the flesh. Because, you know, they can get along some of the time. You know, Paul is adamant, like they are at war with each other. They are opposed to each other. Two, two, two things cannot exist in the same space at the same time. And you choose one or the other. I want us to see that the flesh is not something that's neutral. It's not something that we should play with. It's not something we should put on life support. When God warns Cain, this is in Genesis 4, 6, second part of verse 6, when he's talking, you know, Cain is, is angry. The scripture talks about being angry with his brother, angry with God. And this is what God says to Cain. 
If you refuse to do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires you, but you must master it. It desires you, but you must master it. And the Hebrew that's used in that phrase is the same description that, um, that would be used for like a lion crouching to jump on its prey. You know, it's a beast. It's something that wants, it's something that's intentional, that wants him. And in Romans, depending on the translation that you use, I used one that used maybe slightly nicer words, but what Paul, when Paul is talking about this choice between the flesh, he's saying, will you be a slave? Will you be a slave? Now, we can be told we can be a slave to Jesus, can't we? There's one, there's one attitude where we can see slavery is good, but slavery is not a good term. Slavery, bondage. When you're a slave, you have no choices. That thing that you are a slave to is your master, and it will tell you what to do. These are strong words. The other analogy Paul uses in Romans is about divorce, that we are divorced from the law, that our sin has to be divorced from us so that we will marry Christ and become one with him. This is really strong language. He's not trying to be subtle here. And too often, um, too often in the church, I think we, we do this. I went, um, I'm not sure how, you know, and for the woman, I'll just speak to you an know, example from, for, for men that I've seen so often. If you read like 90% of books for, for Christian men about how not to fall into lust, the vast majority of them, in my experience, about 90%, will, will, will basically focus on how to control your flesh. Now, put blinkers on. Guard yourself from the world. And true, don't be stupid, obviously. You know, there's an element to which you must have wisdom. But this idea that you can control the flesh, that you put blinkers on, it is not going to work. You might be righteous for a little while, but sooner or later, some pretty girl in a tight pair of pants is going to walk past those blinkers, and your eyes just going to linger a little bit. Just a second. And you might not step into sin in that moment, but the next time it's going to be two seconds, and the next time five seconds, and those blinkers are going to fall off. But too often, we think, if I can just control this thing, if I can just control it. But Jesus doesn't ask us to kill it. He's the one that's supposed to kill it for us. I told Matt and Joe I had to use at least one zombie analogy in this sermon because you don't often get to preach about zombies. Okay? <laughs> and maybe some of you don't like zombie movies, so I apologize. The Korean ones are the best, in my opinion. But, um, you know, in so many zombie movies, there's the character who has one of their relatives who's turned into a zombie in the back room. Have you seen these movies? It's like someone has, one of their loved ones has become a zombie and they keep them in the back because they can't bring themselves to kill it. Because maybe, just maybe, somehow this zombie will be returned to humanity. Okay, the living dead. The part of us that's supposed to be dead, that's supposed to be nailed to the cross, that we keep on life support. We keep it in the back room. And if you've watched any of those zombie movies, you know eventually that thing's getting out and eating the person. It always happens. You can predict it. Okay. And we do that with our sin. We like stick it in the back room. 
It's like, Lord, I want to surrender to you in all these ways, but there's this one thing, and we might not say it consciously, but we do, and we stick it in that back room, and we just want to keep that little thing alive, that little bit of comfort, that little bit of the flesh. And you know what? Jesus gives us the right to do that because he gives us the will to choose him. He's a kind master and a loving God. But he doesn't want us to keep our flesh on life support. He wants us to kill it. If we're told that we are crucified with Christ, that is a painful death and it's something that we have to consent to. And the thing with the flesh, um, the thing with the flesh is it's really crafty. Um, and this might be relevant to, to more, some of us more than, more than other aspects of the flesh. Um, so we can, wrestle with, we can wrestle with lust and we can wrestle with anger and we can wrestle with greed and we can wrestle with you know, eating too much or drinking too much and these things that are really of the flesh. Okay? And they're kind of easy to identify, easy to see as sin. Um, and maybe we can do really well at meeting the Lord and nailing those things to the cross and start to find freedom. But the flesh is really devious. And just when you think it's nailed to the cross, and just when you think it's about to die, it'll change its voice, and will start to talk to you with a slippery tongue. And it'll start to take on a religious tone. Okay, and this is really subtle. And it really deserves a sermon on its own. But when I talk about religious pride, I'll come back to this, this idea. Okay. Because when, when, when the flesh knows that it's beaten, and it's, it's about to die, it'll defend itself by shifting into a religious pattern. And it will start to tell you, you're doing really well. You're, you're almost holy. Keep going. Keep, keep working at it. Keep striving. You're doing well. And it'll start to shift you to a religious mindset where now the flesh feeds your sense of salvation, your sense of striving. This is what the religious spirit does. It's the core of the religious spirit, isn't it? It's the law. Notice when Paul is writing about the flesh, he lists the sins in Galatians, but for the rest of the time he's talking about the law. He's talking about the law, the law, the law, the law. The law is the thing that is dangers through which sin is exposed. And, 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 and the flesh will twist us into religious pride. And as soon as we do that, as soon as we step into that, as soon as we stop seeing Jesus as the absolute and only way for the flesh to die, the flesh, the little life, the little beeper on the machine comes on again. And it's subtle. And because of that, it's harder to see and it can be harder to kill. Because I tell you, if you're a teller student and you're getting drunk every night, someone in your dormitory is going to tell you there's something wrong, okay? <laughs> and maybe I was students as well. That probably doesn't happen very often, okay? But if you're really religious and you're putting up a good mask, do you think you're going to be told very often, wow, your flesh is doing really well with you? <coughs> it's really subtle. And that's, 
trying to think of another way I could say this. Um, okay, think, first of all, think in Galatians. When, when, when Paul is writing, he's writing to a church that he's ministered to. He's writing to a church that he has established his ministry to, that knows Jesus. I don't doubt the Galatians have seen miracles. They've seen the wonders of God. And this church that has known the glory of the gospel turns to the law. Okay, they are easily deceived to the law. And Paul's words are strong in Galatians when he says, Jesus might as well not have died if this is the way you're going to live your life. That, that is strong language. That's how seriously Paul takes this. Because remember that the spirit and the flesh are in opposition to each other, okay? They're in opposition to each other. And what will often happen is if we are in a church where the spirit is not alive, we will turn to the flesh and we will turn to religion. Okay? That's the other option that we have. We have a fleshly religion or we have the spirit. Don't be surprised if the spirit is dead, that the flesh is strong. Okay, and go, go back to the list that Paul gives us in Galatians. Okay, we don't see a lot of orgies and sorcery in church. That's fantastic. Okay, but how often do we see divisions? How often do we see factions? How often do we see jealousy? Is that not the flesh being triumphant? People's will being triumphant, their sense of pride being triumphant, what they want being triumphant, and a complete lack of surrender to the will of God. At Kingdom Life, we've almost had one split, very close to having a split. And you know what stopped that split? Is that one of our elders got on his knees and started washing feet. And he didn't accuse and he didn't blame, he didn't say, you're right or you're wrong. He got on his knees and started washing feet. And the Spirit moved. And people's hearts let go. Why? Because we weren't carrying the things of the Spirit, we were carrying our own stuff. It was our flesh, and the Holy Spirit had to come in and say, no. So Paul is not subtle. (laughs) We are to be a living sacrifice. We are to be nailed to the cross. We have to suffer the loss of all things. Of all things. And remember Paul says that he gives up everything. Everything. Everything is done. Everything is poop in relation to the image of Christ and the knowledge of Jesus. That means that we take even the things that are good in our lives and we surrender them. We surrender our flesh. Jesus nailed this to the cross. I surrender my gifts. Nail them to the cross. I surrender my intelligence. Nail it to the cross. Jesus, give back to me everything that is good. Give it back to me. Give it back to me, empowered by you and saturated by you. That my flesh won't be warping it, but that your spirit will be holding it and empowering it and guiding it. So we surrender everything. I'm running out of time, and I really wanted to tell a couple of stories about Matt. (laughs) Um, Appreciate it, Daniel. Um, <laughs> let me read these words from, from Andrew Murray. Just a short paragraph, which I think sums up. I love his heart in terms of intimacy. First of all, he says, remember that Jesus came to restore intimacy. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
I, my Father, will come and make our home in you. And he says this, I cannot glory a distant Jesus from whom I am separated. It is a thing of effort. The flesh is required. But a present Savior, an intimate Savior, whom the Spirit glorifies within me, this abases the flesh. This keeps the flesh nailed to the cross. One of the things about Andrew Murray, besides the fact that he's South African, which makes him amazing, um, obviously, he's, you know, he's writing in 19th century South Africa, so one of the stories he tells is of one of his friends who has a pet lion. Okay, we don't have those anymore, but, but back then, some people had lions as pets. Um, and he said that he, he went to visit his friend once, and the, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him, because the lion was in this, little, in this caged area, and he asked his friend if he could go in and pet it, and he said, sure, go inside, and, and Andrew opens the gate, and he stepped in, in, and the thing, he says, the thing's eyes lit up dinner. Just, he knew he was going to be eaten. And as, as, the, as the line reacts, and lines are pretty quick, so as the line reacts, the friend just stepped in front, and it, the line stepped down. And then his friend walked up and put his hand on the line's shoulder, and then Andrew could come in, pet the line and he was safe. And the eyes had subdued a little bit, but he could see it still wanted to eat him. And he said, we need, to have this, we need to have this understanding of the flesh and of sin, that if we toy with it, if we play with it, it will eat us. And the only thing that makes sin at all, not that sin is safe, sorry, but the only thing that protects us from sin is Jesus, that he is walking with us, that we are intimate with him, that he is present with us. And then no line will touch us. No beast that wants to master us, as God told Cain, will come near us because the king is with us. If we try and do it in our own flesh, even with the best of intentions, we will not master the flesh. So finally, remember how Paul finishes Romans 7. We can read the verse, <laughs> the last two verses. Who can save me? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. It is Jesus that saves us. It is Jesus who sets us free. But what's really important with what Paul writes here is that it's not, it's not just it's not our salvation. Okay, salvation doesn't set us free from sin. Salvation sets us free from the consequences of sin. And we, are, and we have the resurrection and we have eternity. But to have Jesus free us from the flesh, to free us from the temptations of sin, that's Jesus now, Jesus intimate with us. That's Jesus in relationship. It's not the idea of Jesus, as Andrew Murray says, it's the Jesus with me. Not the Jesus who's separate, but the Jesus who's in me. And then we'll see the flesh defeated. So I just want to say two last things, and then we'll, we're going, we all have a final song. Okay, I'll pray and we'll have a final song in communion. Um, I, um, I love that, that last song that we sang, that, that chorus. Um, your eyes are like flames of fire, your hair is white as wool. 
And that is, um, that is straight scripture. Okay, that description is from scripture. And it's powerful enough. Um, but I, but on, the, on the occasions that I've seen Jesus, that, that song moves me to tears every time because that's what I've seen. And that, and that fire in his eyes, that fire in his eyes burns away all your sin, all my sin. And there is, only, <laughs> there is only one response that we can have when we actually encounter him. And that is a response of love. Okay, and the flesh and that religious form of the flesh will always keep us in a way of living that is about not sinning to satisfy the law, not sinning in the hope that we can be acceptable to him. And if that's what motivates us, we will always fall short. And when we do fall short, we'll, 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 feel, we'll feel we deserve punishment, we'll feel shame, we'll go through that whole thing until we feel better about ourselves and then we'll try again. And when you see Jesus and when you are with him with intimacy and you are in love with him, then not sinning is about not hurting the one that you love. And that's such a different motivation. And you will still sin. You'll still fall short. Of course you will. You're human. I still do. But then when, I, when that happens, I can run to him because I know that he loves me. I'm not expecting to be punished. I'm not feeling shame. I'm feeling sorrow because I've hurt the one that I love. And it's so freeing to not have that voice in my head saying, oh, you screwed up. Oh, you failed again. But to have that voice saying, you're my son. I love you. Come. Let me embrace you. That's how we're called to live. So finally, how do we do this? <laughs> we surrender, people. How do we do this? We surrender. Paul writes in Romans 2, in verse 29, that we are to be circumcised in our hearts, not caring what men think, but we seek his presence. Not circumcised physically for the law, but circumcised in our hearts that we press into him. So, Matt, could you grab the communion, please? We're going to have communion now in a final song. Um, so if you weren't here two weeks ago, um, we're just going to worship. And when you feel ready to come take communion, come and take communion. Um, and I'll, I'll pray before we do that. But if worship team, if you guys want to start coming up, um, think about... The, think about um, as we worship and as we come up for communion, communion, communion is a wonderful time to meet God. It's a wonderful time to meet the Spirit. You're not just taking bread and grape juice. Okay, you're remembering what Jesus did. So I want, I want you to think about, are, are there patterns in your life? Are there patterns in your life that, that show that you are religiously trying to get right with God? That you're trying to find your perfection in yourself? And just think about how subtle this can be, okay? Think about, are there places, are there preferences you have where you're still feeding the flesh? If any of you have start, joined us in the fasting over, over Lent, you might be feeling this. <laughs> the flesh saying, oh, please eat something. I'm starving, okay? There might be preferences that we have there might be some things that are really obviously sinful. There might, might be more subtle. But are there things 
Are there things where you're just more willing to say yes to the flesh than to what the Spirit is asking you to do? And finally, if you haven't, if you haven't encountered Jesus, or if it's been a while, and you've actually lost sight of who he is, and you've lost sight of his love, then ask him for a fresh revelation. There's no 10-point plan here. All I can say is get on your knees and say, Lord, take me, have me, I surrender. As best you can. It might be a 50%, it might be a 99%, I don't know. But that's the best thing you can do. Say, Lord, I surrender. Will you give me a revelation for you are? And then he, you, give, you put the ball in his court and let him reveal his love to you. And then you respond to that. So will you stand and let's, and let's pray and we'll then we'll jump into worship and have communion. And I'll just bless these, these elements. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is broken for you. And also at supper, he took a cup of wine. And he said to his disciples, this is my blood, which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. So as we worship, and when you are ready, come and receive communion. Know that you're restored. And I pray, Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would meet us, that you would meet us now as we worship, as we take communion. Lord, show us, show us the parts of our lives that aren't surrendered. Jesus, our loving King, give us a greater revelation of your love for us. A greater revelation of the power of your resurrection. A greater revelation of the truth that you set us free, that you made the way for us to run into our Father's presence. No longer ashamed. Lord, let this be a night where the flesh dies. Where sins that have had a hold in us die. And we give them to you, Jesus, to nail on the cross. We relinquish them from our lives. We surrender to you. Amen.